Hi everyone, good to see you again. Today we have a very special episode with Dr. Robert Corrigan from New York. Most of you know him as Bobby. He's the urban rodent expert or rodentologist of the world. He's famous for it. And it's always incredibly insightful to discuss with him and reflect on future technologies and developments in our industry. To save your time, we're gonna tune right in. So enjoy the interview and see you soon. All right, so let's start, Bobby. Um, you know, speaking about the most recent topic, we just um, discussed the vaccine. You've been vaccinated, luckily, um, going back to live. Um, so how, in your opinion, uh, did COVID affect our industry in, in the end? I mean, it's now one and a half, or oh, not, not one and a half, but one year and maybe a month uh, into COVID. And how's our industry been affected and what effects do you foresee in the not too distant future? Well, you know, it's it's been a mixture, Daniel. Um, you know, luckily, you know, we're somewhat insulated as an industry because we're essential, right? So we all know we're essential industry, and we were one of the first that was listed, at least in the United States, as essential yes. occupation. Yeah. And to you and I, and to all pest professionals everywhere, we all say, well, of course, we know this. You know, without us, you know, no food protection, no safety, you know, no protection of the structures. So we know this. So I think it was an important message to the public. Mm. But at the same time, you know, on Tuesday, I was out with a pest professional that had a very large account outside of New York City. And, you know, he said, you know, we're okay. We're doing okay. But um, we certainly lost a lot of commercial stores and restaurants and hotels yes. and and those industries that depend on, of course, people value. That part, we were hurt. You know, we yep. lost though, that work for a while. But um, and so we're probably going to be OK. You know, he, as an example, and some of my other clients said, we're going to be OK but this definitely did impact us but at the same time there's a silver lining here daniel and and that is you know everyone and i see it in my consulting business already everyone is virus conscious and it took this pandemic to get everyone to understand that you know the origins of this covid were wild animals mm -hmm. So here we are with you and I having this discussion today and um, certainly rats and mice and rodents and other vermin, if you will, they're wild with a capital W and they're coming in and around our cities and they're part of our cities and they're in the sewers and they're in you know parks and what have you. I see now is a lot of interest in people saying, we do not want any possibilities of letting these viruses get closer to us. And just this week, I'm working on a big contract with a major university in the United States, one of the largest, and they said, we want a program, we want to design a program to keep wild animals out of our campus as best as possible. We do not want to rely on letting them get here and then killing them because the virus then will already be here. So we want them out of our buildings and we want to have management of these animals. 
So many things that pop into my mind instantly when you, uh, uh, you know, the, speaking about the silver lining, especially, fingers crossed um, that there is a increase of sensitivity and a decrease of tolerance, hopefully for these, as you said, capital W, wild animals, totally agree. Do you think that that's going to happen? Um, I mean, it's an obvious one. It is probably, isn't it? You know, that's always the frustration for us in, in pest industry is it seems like, you know, as clear as we know this, it takes a while, you know, for it to filter down to the public, for it to really hit home. We've been saying this for so many years, right? All our publications, Daniel, for 30 years of saying we are important because we protect public health. But most people don't hire us because they think we protect public health, right? Most people hire us because it, they do not want pests in their lives and they don't make that connection easily. So it's a, it's a big question, it's gonna remain open, but the pandemic taught the public the importance of these viruses that most people do not even know what a virus is. Quite frankly, they just think of it as a germ. And they don't know if you say, what's the difference between a virus and a bacteria? They do not know that answer, right? And, you know, so it's a situation of this hopefully has made the world public that you and I service more aware of microorganisms yep. and the relationship to those and pests. I'm hopeful, I'm optimistic you know as a silver lining but but to if we could say to your question well we how can we measure that impact yeah i, I don't know how we'd do it maybe we should have a survey through our organization yeah, yeah. but yeah let me google after this meeting maybe i'm going to find some uh, stats on you know what people learn from it but i guess it is in the news all the time just as you said and also you know a lot of people are aware that it might have been sprung from, you know, wild animals like bats um, consumed in China, held in cages uh, as food and other animals um, like some Nat Geo uh, scientists have uh, also concluded in some of the documentaries that we've all seen probably. So yeah, it is not too far away from our industry. And I'm, I'm really hopeful um, that our world, our, you know, society is just going to recognize how, you know, viruses can affect us. And you said, rightfully, um, the viruses mutate quicker, you know, with, as you said, passing through the various species, humans, other animals, etc. Um, quicker than, you know, we can, we can form new vaccines. So what is your take on that? Well, my take, Daniel, is I think the same on everyone's is when you look at that model, you know, that template for how viruses, even though they're not living organisms, how they quote behave in getting their you know, replication done. Yeah. It's it's very concerning, of course, be, because, you know, there are, you know, millions and billions, you know, there's mm. what, you know, six point something billion human beings on planet Earth. And not everybody's getting vaccinated, even within developed cities and areas, people are refusing to get vaccinated. Yeah. And so, you know, that's a concern of if, if the viruses behave in that certain way to have animals to pass through, humans, and we have a significant portion, we may not get to herd immunity. And yep. so the, the concern is we ourselves may be our greatest threat to recovery. Absolutely agreed. 
Absolutely agree. And then there's, you know, scientists, uh, which obviously um, perform under lab circumstances, which means, you know, 0.001 change of temperature is going to make this and that with a virus. And then we have real life uh, where the virus is quicker than the virus that example that we're examining. And as just as you said, uh, it's, it's getting uh, even further quicker and it's getting harder and harder to reach herd immunity. So it's a lot of things that um, are so incredibly near to what we have learned in theory of how to deal with pests, isn't it? There is so much of uh, any, I mean, you, you're, you've always been a strong advocate that there is a, like a comparison of how we deal with the virus and how we deal with pests. So um, it's always been pretty interesting. You're exactly on the mark. I, I think, you know, we have to focus on the fact that, you know, the viruses and, and pests, you know, it's, you have to have that big picture. You have to have, partners you have to have everybody cooperating together otherwise we we merely harvest the issue mm -hmm. instead of you know truly managing it and eliminating it yeah absolutely great bobby um bobby just getting back to uh, the university uh, what you said uh, i found really interesting because the university is now basically getting what we are uh, trying to let's say uh, advocate uh, in our industry prevention preventative measures before a problem occurs. You've been rambling on about this for decades, I want to say, uh, longer than I'm probably existing on this planet, um, and rightfully so. So um, how not it funny that now uh, prevention is getting more into the years of everybody and um, the common sense of how to deal with a problem instead of harvesting it uh, is getting more focused. I mean, it's, it's, it's water on our mills, isn't it? It truly is, you know, and if we take the word you're emphasizing preventive you know these days what i notice as a consultant daniel is people get the they get the word like this university they get the word we want preventive pest management mm -hmm. now that's interesting because when you think about it we use the term ipm right Correct. integrated pest management which if you do ipm has a greater preventive thrust yes so it's, mm. yeah but they get exactly the pyramid they get the word preventive but if we sit in a meeting which we've been all doing for a long time and say we advocate a process called ipm you know i can see when i'm in meetings they're like oh boy what does that mean even though it's simple concept you know you're throwing an acronym into their language and, you know, it does not exist very easily. And it's simple. Integrate all the techniques of non-chemical and chemical and monitoring. But still, when you say we want to prevent pests at your university or at your hotel or your airport, your school, it's immediate. They're like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Let's prevent and not have to spray them or bait them or kill them or trap them. Let's yeah. prevent. Exactly. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, but we're always, I mean, um, I've, I've seen a couple of businesses that um, have, a, we, actually, funny example. We have a company, our sister company, it's a smaller part of our group. It's called Dr. Dicht, which translated to English means Dr. Proof, basically. So <laughs> it is a company that was formed, a small unit that was formed for the large food processing sites and universities and hospitals of, of Germany that is only dealing with proofing and sealing and you know door brushes and all of, and also spikes against pigeons but that's 
obviously an, an old topic, but especially these things. And we've seen a huge increase in the past um, five years, I want to say, of the food industry showing more and more, um, let's say, the, the bigger, the top shelf, basically. It's always, you know, starting with the Nestle's and Coca-Cola's of the world, and then it's dripping down to the small and medium-sized uh, enterprises around the food logistic chain. But we've seen a huge increase and we've inspired a couple of uh, companies to doing the same. And I've um, one company that I'm not um, mentioning today because it's a big one and everybody knows it. It's a stock, listed on the stock exchange even. And we've inspired one of their countries to do it as well. It's, it's like seven years back or something. And they've, they've taken it over and like instantly after half a year, they were generating six figure uh, sales per month uh, with, with that service, just offering it to their incremental clients. So it is win-win in my eyes, isn't it? it? It truly is. And and those examples are excellent because, you know, I don't, I think, you know, we use the expression perhaps in Europe too, but we, we use the expression no brainer. No exactly. brainer. No brainer. Yeah. And yeah. for me, I, I love that expression. Sometimes in, in committee meetings, I'll say that's a no-brainer, meaning we should not even spend a lot of time thinking about this. It is so clear. It is so clear we should just do this. We should pursue it. Unless someone has some clear uh, reason we should not, mm -hmm. it's a no-brainer. And so, you know, I think it is a no-brainer easily to say that if a pest industry is looking to the future, how will we be in 10 years as an industry? I mean, it's going so fast. We could say, how will we be in three years? How will we be in five? How will we be in 10? And the, the, the answer I think is that's a no brainer that you will be relying on the word prevention in depth. And prevention has many different values there and many different dynamics. And you should be all over every one of them aggressively because yeah. The future is not going to be relying on lots of chemicals. Some exactly. chemicals, but mostly thinking, good thinking. Totally agreed. Right application of chemicals. I mean, yes. they are, per I mean, why do we use chemicals? They work perfect for us. They are very effective. But if we overuse them if, if, if a bit, you know, we have issues like a resistance, et cetera. So it just makes sense to, to get back to a more balanced, uh, harmonized way of using all the weapons we have instead of focusing on the easiest one. Um, because it's again, harvesting, as he said. Yeah. You know, a scientist just sent me a paper, Daniel, to tie up this uh, point, but it just came out this, this week and it is yet another publication, but this one is on residues of rodent poisons in eagles. And eagles. eagles. In which in, country? In the United States. Oof. And so here we focus, we know the rodenticides and certainly the European Union knows very well, but rodenticides have shown up in hawks and in owls, right? And mm. some land carnivores, you know, in California, as far as the mountain line, all the way up to the mountain line, but many carnivores lower, you know, the foxes and coyotes. Well, here's a new paper showing not dead eagles, they didn't go looking, although some, but they are sampling live eagles and live hawks, live owls for residues of anticoagulants wow. in their bodies. That has never been done. That's right, did not. And when you think about eagles, for example, you know, here they are fishing types of birds, not only fish, they'll, they'll take other animals, but the residues are showing up in eagles, bald eagles and golden eagles. Unbelievable. And the question is, how is that happening? 
how is that drift happening with our pesticides that we thought were, were staying just with rodents? And we now know they have tremendous environmental drift outside of cities. How is that happening? Unbelievable. Um, side note, I would be thankful if you would send that study over. Uh, I will. Nothing like that's ever been published. No live animals ever. Correct. Correct. And, you know, it's, it's one of those publications, Daniel, where when you, you first get it, you read the abstract and you check to see if it's quality work and, you know, so forth and refereed and all of that. Mm. And when you realize it's, it's quality, you, you're like, wow, this, this is a game changer, yeah. you know? And so we, we shall see, but it lends all the more credence as to prevention's going to be the way to go, not surrounding buildings with boxes. Absolutely agree, Bobby. Yeah, I mean, you know, as I said many times earlier, um, I'm really, really passionate about my industry. My parents have already been in the industry and I care about all my, you know, most of my friends and colleagues that I care a lot about, um, people like yourselves who we look up to are in our industry. So it, it means the world to us. And um, a lot of people think that what we do is um, helping to support to, let's say, ban or get chemicals out of the way, which it is by far not. We, we you know, all have used them and I think they are absolutely reasonable to use in the right amount and situation. But I think they have been overused a bit, which has led to that point. So before some authority is going to step in and say, you're done, pest controllers, which I always advocate to people, we need to make sure we regulate ourselves correctly and behave differently before some bigger force, you know, Titanic effect is going to come upon us and, uh, yeah, make us uh, give away our, our tools and our, um, you know, um, it's, it's going to limit us in our actions pretty heavily if we don't adapt preventatively, um, I guess. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, there's nothing worse than bad legislation written by those who don't understand the problems, right? Yeah. And the complexities. And you're absolutely right, is we should be the ones to self-regulate and say, here's where we see there is in fact a problem. Mm -hmm. And here's where we see we should provide a reasonable solution. Otherwise, it will be those who do not understand and they will make blanket, you know, banning of valuable tools exactly. we need. And we do need, as you just stated, we need these tools. Yeah. No mistake about that. We just Absolutely. need to use them correctly. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is no doubt that in the next couple of years with um, some, uh, you know, regulators looking at, I don't know, 2024 or something for a revisit on um, prolong, prolonging the um, exemption for rodenticides and anticoagulants um, to be used by pest controllers, then in this time period, more studies are going to appear. The more we know, the more is going to be um, researched. Um, in fact, that's, that's a ground rule. And we've, we've came across um, residues in, in fishes, uh, live fishes, which are, have been fished just for that. We've, we've seen it in, in singing birds um, and unfortunately dead singing birds already, but uh, now we have eagles, hawks, we had owls, we had fishes, mountain lions, you name it. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's just shocking. I'm really, honestly, when, when I think about that, I'm like, oh my God, they're gonna take it from us as even uh, quicker than we expect, which obviously some businesses are gonna profit from that are doing some non-toxic or trapping solutions, which is great for them. But in the end, do we want that as an industry? I think not. And um, 
I really hope that everybody understands that uh, we're not a green washed, uh, uh, you know, also podcast or uh, people, but we want to help our industry. Yeah, uh, well said, well said. I, I agree 100%. So another one, uh, going back to one of uh, the things that you said on, on restaurants and bars and all of that, um, that, uh, you know, these areas where pest control businesses had issues generating, uh, you know, their keeping up with, with, with our business there in these areas, which have obviously been, um, you know, neglected by the public because of COVID. Um, I've heard from one of the businesses here in Germany that they can't visit the businesses anymore, but because the products are still in place, they still keep paying them. And at some other businesses, they, they can still visit with the exemption for key workers and essential workers. Um, did you get any, sorry, did you get any of that feedback because I have a, a thesis here and my thesis would be that after COVID, a lot of people are going to be more sensitive, still wearing masks, maybe not being vaccinated or whatnot. So I honestly have a little bit of a fear that this, let's say, segment of our industry, which is obviously a large segment, you know, all the McDonald's and, and restaurants and, and whatnot, if, if they're going to break away or at least a part of it, it it's going to hurt our industry tremendously, probably a couple of billions of turnover annually uh, per year. Um, so what, what are you, what is your take on that? Your crystal ball? Well, it's, it is an interesting question. It is one that has been discussed, you know, uh, among some of us over here in the, especially in the scientific circles too. And, um, I think it's the word you use is the crystal ball. Uh, we're hoping, you know, that no one will make those drastic uh, decisions uh, without thinking them through first. Mm. You know, the pessimist in me says, I'm really worried about that, you know, because they're going to default to everything being COVID priority and COVID transmissions and all of those things. Yep. and. And even back to my university story, to work with them, I had to fill out page after page after page as to how, as a consultant, I will behave when I visit the campus and what I cannot do. I cannot go on a coffee break, for example, and without permission. <laughs> so I see, you know, the pest professionals are going to probably have to evolve into a certain type of service and behavior that goes with that service that will become acceptable to both parties. Because yep. you can see COVID transmission, leaving, allowing someone into your building or restaurant or bar, and you don't know where they've been. Uh, you know, exactly. if you look at a pest professional, you'll say, how many stops have you already done today? And who were they? And what COVID precautions did they have? That's going to be a very difficult, I think, at first, until we even right. out, Daniel. I think, you know, it's we're all evolving on this very rapidly, of course. I mean, here you and I are having this face-to-face -face conversation between Germany and, and New York, and we're having Zooms around the world. Everyone from around the world can join a Zoom. That's an evolution in our behavior when you think about it. We no longer necessarily have to be in a hotel meeting room, you know, in Berlin or something. Center, yeah, exactly. So here we are doing this. Yeah. That's evolution for our species and communication. We're going to need evolution in our industry for service. 
And I'm hoping, but I don't know, but to your question, I'm assuming organizations like NPMA are all over this as to those protocols have to be established, written, and accepted by all of us because you can't just go out and say, well, I don't, I'm not doing that. You know, you know, the customers say, well, then you're not servicing. Exactly. You know, unless it's a private home, you know, and then even then who's not going to worry about who's coming into your house. Absolutely. You know, so I, I don't, you know, I don't, no, is the answer to your question, but I know we are going to go through some kind of evolution in our service routines that are going to have to probably be more inconvenient for sure. And who knows what that will do to pricing structures. Yes, agreed. This is also something I've, uh, uh, in, in trying to answer that question, that was also one of the major things that I think is going gonna, is gonna to happen, price increase because of, you know, um, massive overhead there. So speaking about remote um, and IoT, Internet of Things technology, um, which could definitely help, and, and you said also in one of your talks, I remember 2015 or something already, uh, where you said it's a no-brainer. By the way, I don't know if you know, but I've, I've quoted you on that several times. I, I had a, a presentation in Brussels in the EU Commission, very popular uh, presentation with a, with a large audience of pet professionals, associations, and also entities from the competent authorities in the European commissions and ministers. And I've, I've quoted you like two or three times. So you're, everybody there knows you now and your quote, it's a no-brainer <laughs> on, uh, on IPM especially. No, but um, uh, so uh, speaking of again about Internet of Things technology, and we know that especially um, market leader Renekil, um and uh, Antisimax, which is supposedly like number four of the world, I would guess, are pretty heavy on smart and IoT and data. So... Uh, we talked about that earlier and, you know, we, you and I, we agreed it's, it's probably a no-brainer um, because it, the, the products existent are not that smart yet of what we expect of, let's say, an iPhone. Um, but that's only because of there are billions of iPhones and, and Samsung phones and there is, you know, only thousands of a smart rodent or moth or bed bug or whatever traps. But um, if you can foresee the vision um, of, I don't know, next 10 years, are there people... Um, let's say uh, somebody with a home um, is, is, is there, are they going to buy a AI uh, software, IOT remote rodent trap or bed bug trap or say a termite trap of Amazon and some guy of Amazon or some new fancy startup or Uber maybe with a automated uh, Tesla car is coming uh, to, to service or not service the, the traps even more not service them but the AI does it and then somebody only comes reactive when there is actually a pest problem. Is that how the future of pest control could look like? You know, I, I think it's tending to look like it could go there easily enough. But, and everyone is concerned, of course, for that question, because that's such a paradigm shift for our conventional industry and quarterly service, monthly service, and so forth, and that you need us to be here. We are essential. But now, as you just intimated, you know, suppose you put six sensors inside a home, or you put 60 sensors inside, say, a restaurant, whatever have you, and that if they're not alerting to any activity, 
why would we need a human to come by on a regular basis with a flashlight for however long, 30 minutes, an hour, maybe if it's a big food company all day, why would we need that? We definitely want you here when we get the alert. But I'm not sure if you say these alerts are so good, if these remotes are so good, why, why should we just wait until we get alert? So we're going to have that very fine line, Daniel, I think, to walk between what cannot a remote sensor do that you need the human element. And I think it's very similar, you know, all the IoT technology, which is outstanding, and all our Everything we do with computers, we also know as human beings, the computers can't do it all. They cannot, exactly. you know, and as many things, subtle things that require a human mind to go with the computer and together, my goodness, we realize how powerful they are. And that technology, just again, just like you and I right now, the technology is critical. Absolutely. But when people say, well, let's just reduce the need for pest control, I'm like, not if we show, which we easily can show, that you you still need us and we're gonna supplement us with these remote sensors, you know. But but there's probably going to be some quote pain or loss to certain kinds of revenue streams where, you know, and I ran a pest control route for three years. And many of my customers said, you know, you're really good at what you do. I don't have any pests and I'm thinking about canceling. Uh, I'm like, why would you cancel? They said, because you've got taken care of the problem so well, so why should I continue? I said, for prevention, for prevention. And, you know, remote sensors, they can't truly give 100% prevention. They can only help in total prevention. Mm -hmm. So many interesting things. So first, first thing is obviously one of the, um, I think our industry itself to master that paradigm shift is very cautious. Why? Because as you said, one of the reasons is why should I still pay you when I have the IOT and thinking on scale that can be potentially pretty scary and dangerous for my revenue streams. So Totally agreed. So imagine there's, I mean, we know what the cameras do um, um, and, and the face filters and how they, um, uh, you know, detect any object in a room easily. So if we can, you know, use that in a pest control object, um, it's obviously together with a human, a great service for a human, uh, for, for a human, for a company, for an enterprise, whatever. But um, I think that's always been like the gatekeeper of that paradigm shift to happen was always have, we, we've been our, you know, ourselves, we've been that. So I think in the end, there's, there's going to be a point when, I mean, there's anyways going to be a slow growth into that, but the growth is so small that it's going to easily take like 20 years, which is okay. Again, you know, we have time. Um, but do you think there could be like all of that combined with, COVID and our industry being in the focus of PR media a little bit, at least with the Eagles and studies like that. And then maybe some younger, let's say the Uber or the Amazon or Apple of, of pest control will, you know, arise and will ever offer everybody a free or very low cost pest control surveillance through cameras or whatnot sensors for their home over, let's say Amazon or something. Um, do you think there's going to be like a wave of people deciding we're going to switch from this to that? It's, it's an interesting question, isn't it? 
Yes, it is, but it's a critical question. And, you know, I, I keep thinking back, I don't know if you've had the chance <clears throat> to read the famous book called The Tipping Point, right? By Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, somebody sent it to me, but I didn't read it. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> But I know right. what the tipping point is, yeah. Yes, I, I know. So, but, you know, to some degree, can almost, I don't want to take anything away from his great writing, but to some degree, you, you can get the point of that book pretty darn quickly. But it is, it is classic, and that is many things have a tipping point. And, you know, he shows, for example, that some things take a, they have a very long startup, right? And That's I great. myself... Years ago, I said, you know, this remote sensing is going to go really fast because yeah, it's a no-brainer. And guess what? Um, I look back and say that you were wrong, Bobby, because it has been slow. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. And now I'm even like, you know, just frustrated how slow it's been. <laughs> because, you know, I like to point out that even what you and I just said about technicians will never be replaced and we'll need the human element, and we will need to supplement tools, including remote sensors. At the same time, Daniel, I like to re remind, and sometimes people get uncomfortable, and say, you know, we alone, without sensors, are not good enough. Yep. We are not. Absolutely. And the reason we are not is, again, let's just take uh, any service you wish, but let's take a, you know, a, a weekly important visit by a pest management company to say a food warehouse. Okay. It doesn't even have to be food. We mm -hmm. could make it a residential home, mm -hmm. but we're there. Let's just say we're going to be there for one hour with a flashlight using our skill sets and our training and everything in our books and things we've gone through. We're there for one hour out of an entire week's hours of mm -hmm. day, night, all the hours, all the minutes. Mm. That is a minuscule amount of sight and evaluation on a building where we're not there for all the other hours. So what do we end up with? We end up with this huge false negative, if you will. Let's just say it's you or me trying our best mm. with our flashlights and we know where to look and we know the pest behavior. Many of these pests, insects and rodents, are cryptic. They are hard to get to. They're in places that in an hour, they're not going to pay you to take apart the building while you're there. You're just going to do the best you can with what you have and yep. your experience for one hour. And they're not going to see you again till the next week. Yeah. All that time in between, the pests have that building to themselves. And for us to assume, you know, you're clear. I just inspected for an hour with really good inspection skills. Never clear. clear. We can't say you're clear. We can yeah. only say you were clear for this hour that I was here. Yeah. And if they didn't leave signs, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. So the point is, you know, we, we need every tool we can get, you yeah. know, and the tools need us. We cannot Absolutely. have one or the other independent. And for people that say, I'm not ready for remote sensors yet. I always respond back, at least to my clients, and say, you're behind. I'm sorry, but you're lagging behind. If yep. you're going to call yourself a progressive company, I'm sorry, but I'm not sure you are yet. But you can catch up really quick. That's the good news. Yeah. So get going. 
What more to add to that? I, I'm I'm totally agree on that, Gary. I couldn't, uh, uh, Bobby. I couldn't agree more. Um. So one thing that I've also wanted to add to that hour, which is absolutely right, is during that hour you're inspecting all of the rooms, the roof, the 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 uh, the cellar, everything. But uh, thinking about uh, a sensor, it is controlled 24/7 throughout all the week or month in one spot and say you have 60 sensors you know in an hour of time you can't be at 60 spots at all times so it i, I calculated it once it was over 100,000 percent more effective to use you know it, pest controllers are always bound to boxes a box against bed bugs uh, a thing against termites you know if you spray you spray an area right but everything for monitoring and control you use boxes and these boxes are situated at locations most of the time, some critique pest controllers do it because of sales might happen, but 95% probably they position it there because there might be a pest occurring because of some biological reason. So rodents, moth, cockroaches, bugs, ants, termites maybe, and all of these ins uh, pests have boxes. So when there would be a situation when the boxes will be controlled by sensors, camera, what so, uh, whatever, um, we would have a situation in which um, a pest controller could also do remote work or home office or something like that because i've read articles about lorry, lorry drivers um at, at in some uh, bigger sites it's um allowed um, that lorry drivers uh, may control them or surveil the partially full self-driving lorries from their working space and the same thing with forklifts so i, I was amazed on close um uh, larger company areas it's, it's already been done which is crazy. You've never uh, thought about some lorry or forklift driving around by their own. But uh, I do think that there could be like a parallelism to pest control. You know, in the end, us or even an AI looking through all the pictures and video data of millions of pest boxes around the world, surveilling it. And when there is a problem, of course, you need to go there regularly because the boxes are not everything. But when there is a problem occurring, instantly go there. I think it would, you know, make our service all together if we could implement and have a wish and implement that uh, implement that tomorrow i think it will make our industry a lot better i agree and i would add to that daniel that you know to some degree in fairness to all our customers right all our customers all our commercial customers our residential customers mm -hmm. the city customers in fairness to their side of purchasing paying us mm -hmm. here's money Here's what I expect for this money is I expect pest management and prevention and all the things you you say. The sensors, to some degree, hold us accountable to what we are at saying we are selling. So when someone says, are you preventing pests for me or mm -hmm. even even are you doing IPM? Can yes. I hire you? Do you know how to do IPM? I want to hire you for IPM. Yes. Most companies, of course, now, I can't imagine there'd be a company would say, no, no, I, I don't do IPM. I just start spraying or I start crafting. Exactly. Yeah. Of course, they would say, yes, I do IPM. And for everyone to realize, because sometimes I see them misstep in IPM understanding, the one step they miss is monitoring. So mm -hmm. in the definition of IPM, the formal definition has been around for 50 years. The word monitoring is there. If you don't monitor, but yet you exclude and you use non-chemical and sanitation and all those things we talk about, but you don't monitor, you're not doing IPM. And, and so in a, 
and I've been an expert witness in a court of law and the, the defense and the, the prosecutor will say, what was your monitoring program? Why we ended up with all this food being spoiled. And often they'll say, well, while I was there for an hour, once a week, as I mentioned before, I would look around my pheromone traps and I would do this. And but was there any other backup, any other monitoring? Your monitoring was very weak. Had it been stronger, we might not be in this case. And they're always like, well, okay, if you want more monitoring, I could do it. I'll pay you. I'll charge you for it. Monitoring is a critical part of pest prevention and IPM. And remote sensors take us there with data. They take us there with assurance. They take us there with 365, 24-7, everything you just said. There's no better way to monitor than remote sensors in the right places. There's no better way, in my opinion. No brainer. No brainer. Yep, absolutely. Quote Bobby Corrigan. <laughs> well, guys, this already been it. This has been part one, though. We have split the whole interview into two because it was so insightful, so many uh, great learnings and takeaways from Dr. Robert Corrigan. So uh, see you in the next one.